Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast, evidence-informed, practical-based. This is Season 2, Episode number 13, and today I'm talking all things bodyweight training with an expert in overcoming gravity, Dr. Stephen Lowe. In this episode, Steve's going to share his insights into the principles of bodyweight training, exercise progressions and training frequency tips for beginners, intermediate, and advanced. He'll also discuss how to overcome roadblocks and plateaus in bodyweight training, as well as how you can nail down the one-arm push-up, one-arm chin-up, and fantastic tips for finally achieving that handstand or free handstand. He'll also add some great warm-up and prehab work before you dive into bodyweight training with both feet, as well as tips for tight T-spines, hips and ankles, as well as the benefits and potential pitfalls of stretching. So great tips and insights here from Steve. Bodyweight training can be a really great um, modality for busy clients who don't have time to hit the gym. If clients are perhaps more accustomed to yoga or more meditative practice and want to build some more strength, as well as a potentially nice adjunct training in athletes for either in-season or off-season. If you're interested in more on the various aspects of training, then you won't want to miss Season 1, Episode number 5, on sprinting with the Altus Performance Team members, Jason Hetler and Dr. Jazz Rindawa, as well as circling back to Season 1, Episode number 23, with Coach Clance Laylor on building strength, power, and speed in athletes. Okay, before we start, a quick word from this episode's sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. It's the purest form of deep ocean mineral water collected from natural algae blooms in the Atlantic Ocean. Totem Sport is the only sports drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. Totem Sport is highly bioavailable and has been shown in research to enhance stamina by stabilizing blood glucose levels during exercise, as well as strengthening immunity by buffering exercise-induced reductions in key immune markers. The research on deep ocean mineral water is ramping up, a recent study highlighting its major promise as the optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sport drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. Check out totemsport.co.uk and defy the norm. All right, on to the show, season two, episode number 13 with Dr. Stephen Blow. Enjoy. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Lowe, a former gymnast, coach, and the author of Overcoming Gravity, a systematic approach to gymnastics and bodyweight strength, and overcoming poor posture. Stephen holds a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and Doctorate of Physical Therapy from the University of Maryland and has spent thousands of hours independently researching the scientific foundations of health, fitness, and nutrition. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time today. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be on the show. Well, listen, I'd love to start by asking you about how you got into gymnastics and how that dovetailed into uh, physical therapy. Uh, yeah, so when I was younger, I just my parents put me in gymnastics and it was fun. But uh, around about 10 or 11, I quit. But then um, in college, I took it up again with um, Gymkhana, which is a exhibitional and performance uh, gymnastics troupe, which goes around to schools in the area promoting a drug-free life. Um, and then after that, I started to like seriously train myself. So um, I got in training with uh, Mad Cow's old GeoCity site, uh, which was for barbells, but then I applied a lot of the concepts to uh, gymnastic strength training. 
Uh, and then I also got into coaching as well. So um, from there, then uh, I was interested after college in physical therapy. So I got into that and uh, wrote the book actually during uh, physical therapy school. And so here we are now. Awesome. Well, listen, I mean, Overcoming Gravity, fantastic book. It's definitely one that I've been back and forth through all the uh, so much uh, depth and, and so many layers to it. So maybe we can kick things off here by just talking about some, some fundamental principles of bodyweight training. Yes. Yeah, so bodyweight strength training is a bit different than weights in that you can't necessarily add weight to a barbell. Um, instead, with bodyweight training, you usually change the body position or change the leverage, uh, which means to either shorten or put the muscles into a shortened or lengthened position to make the exercise harder. Um, also, you can add weights like through a, a weighted vest or you know weights in a backpack, but that's also an alternative to that. And so, what what you do with usually changing the body position is, um, you know, you see gymnasts doing. Uh, or calisthenics athletes doing, you know, planches, front levers, usually work out from, you know, more tucked position to a more open body, straight body position. What that does, it, you know, moves your center of mass away from your shoulders, which increases the torque at the shoulders. Um, so basically increases the strength requirement of the exercise. Awesome. And of course, you know, working the various movements, um, Specifically, we're getting into that said principle, obviously, of specificity in terms of just repeating certain movements to, to be able to get fitter and stronger. And, of course, that progressive overload, which you mentioned, you can change body positions, etc. Um, now, how about some progressions with bodyweight training? You know, can you describe the differences between some inter- and intra-exercise progressions? Yes. Yeah, so intra-exercise progressions means like within a progression. Um, so with bodyweight exercises, one of the most common ways to do that is obviously to increase the repetitions you're doing uh, of an exercise. So, you know, if you go to five to six to seven to eight reps, you're obviously getting stronger at the exercise. Um, and then some of the inter-exercise progressions are about learning how to move up from uh, an easier progression, such as like a tuck position to a straddle position or a straddle position to a straight body position. Um, so, for example, um, one could move from, you know, a straddle one-arm push-up to a straight body one-arm push-up to make it much more difficult. Um, and some of the ones that I like for intra-exercise progression um, are just, like, either increasing the reps through increasing them for each set or if you can't do that and your progression is slowing down a bit, you could do it um, maybe for one set and then the next set, the next workout, and then the next set. So what it would look like is a uh, five rep, three sets of five, then maybe one set of one set of six with two sets of five, then two sets of six with one set of five, and so on. Um, alternatively, there are some other ones such as adding additional sets, you know, going up from three to four to five sets uh, if you need additional volume to create that training stimulus um, using rest pause um, techniques such as you know resting uh, five to ten seconds after you complete a set to do a couple extra reps um, changing up the tempo of the exercise by going slower faster or changing the density of exercise, which means lowering the rest times. So you do more volume in a certain period of time. And one of my personal favorites is uh, last set to failure. So you, 
you just do your regular sets and then on the last set you go to failure so it basically gives you an indicator of how much you can do overall in terms of um, basically your overall work capacity and strength as your work capacity increases so um, for example if you do you're on sets of two sets of five and then in your last set you can do you know seven eight nine ten reps or at least two reps over your current set then you can bump up like a progression next time yeah it's incredible how uh handy it can be obviously to just be you know for folks who are really busy um difficult time carving out uh extra time to go to even the gym and stuff you can do a tremendous amount of work obviously just at home and even you know using those weekly measures of even volume to help with things like gaining lean muscle and hypertrophy and you know, in your experience, do you find you know, are there differences between sort of upper and lower body hypertrophy when you get to like a body weight uh, based training strategy? Uh, yeah. So what I found personally, and what echoes a lot of the experience of various gymnastics and calisthenic athletes, is that uh, barbells tend to be the best in terms of strength and hypertrophy for legs and maybe core as well. Um, but you can get comparable strength uh, with body weight or barbell exercises in the upper body um, and fairly similar hypertrophy as long as you get enough volume uh, with uh, body weight exercises as uh, with weights. Um, however, weights may tend to be a little bit better since it's uh, a bit more measurable in terms of you know adding weight to the bar is much more easy, uh, easy and measurable than changing a progression. Um, but overall, pretty comparable to upper body uh, upper body for the body weight exercises and plus body weight exercises tend to be a lot more fun or inspiring uh, to do as well for sure and a lot more sort of compound movements and stuff which is terrific as well and um, when we talk about training frequency with body weight training is there any differences there um, let's say between someone who's starting out with body weight training versus somebody who has more experience in gymnastics or more in an advanced training yeah, so with bodyweight trainees, uh, usually uh, what I recommend personally and what a lot of other people recommend is similar to most beginning weight training uh, programs, such as strength strength, about three-ish times a week is pretty optimal for beginners. Uh, so you have that 48-hour rest period between your workouts and then um, a 72 here and there. Um, but as you get stronger and your work capacity increases, uh, a lot of bodyweight uh, strength trainers like to go up to you know four or five times a week as you get as you improve. Um, just because as you get more practice with the movements, uh, the stronger you stronger you'll get. Yeah, it's definitely something that I remember. Um... Pavel Tatsulin's great book and talking about grease the groove and just having repeated things like the you know handstand progressions and, and whatnot. It's just it's amazing how after you know a few weeks uh, into a month, all of a sudden the, the just the movement patterns and everything just feel really uh, really nice when you're doing them so frequently. Versus oftentimes even with gym work, people are doing things you know once a week and you, you don't get the same kind of um, acceleration in terms of training progression. Exactly. And, you know, the more good or fresh practice you have with movements, uh, the better your body learns it. And that's just like a lot of the uh, neurological aspects of strength, like uh, recruitment, synchronization, and rate coding. I, I think Dan John, who I'm not sure if you had on the podcast, but great strength coach, uh, he, he recommends if something's important, you should do it every day. So that's a pretty good 
uh, way to go about it, as long as you can handle the volume and not get overuse injuries, at least. Yeah, I love that quote. Uh, is really great. It hammers home a great point, and especially if people are used to doing uh, weights-based routines in the gym and doing more of a classic kind of bodybuilder split or something, they're doing just, again, that once a week uh, versus even like a powerlifting style or obviously with the bodyweight training, you repeat the movement so often, it's it's really um, amazing to see kind of the progressions and just the difference of the, how the movements feel even after, you know, a few weeks to a month. And if we talk about, again, periodization, you know, is there a a best method for, for body weight training in your experience? Again, you know, from beginners to, you know, some of the classic linear progressions to are there any differences with potentially advanced trainees? I wouldn't necessarily say there's a best method. Um, as you know, a lot of periodization is aimed towards more advanced athletes. Um, so, so I guess what periodization basically means is to quote unquote, have a plan. Um, so in terms of like that strict definition, uh, yes, but uh, you know, as you know, you're newer to exercise, pretty much everything works to get you stronger in the beginning. Um, but, um, you know, as your rate of progression slows, as you, you know, climb towards your genetic potential, obviously having a more structured plan tends to more easily give gains. So, um, what I, what I like doing after somebody can't use like the simple inter and intra exercise progressions is to get them onto some uh, either light heavy periodization or uh, daily undulated periodization, which helps them to, you know, uh, well, so basically those are programs where you vary the reps uh, between workouts. So what a light heavy would do is, you know, on a heavy day, you would work closer to your one rep max, so like say three to about eight rep max. And then on the lighter day, you'd work higher reps such as, you know, 15, uh, 10 to 15, or even up to 20 rep max. So with the lighter days, you're getting higher volume with lighter reps, which allows you a lot more practice with the movement and enough volume for hypertrophy. Whereas with the heavier days, you're getting more of the strength focus more of the neurological component, um, which and which allows you to you know gain that strength. So switching off between those days helps your neurological system to rest on the light day, whereas on the heavy day you're you know getting the strength focus um, and not so much volume. So you're not you know putting yourself into a reuse as well. Um, and then daily undulated periodization going into you know three days of varying. Uh, say light, medium, heavy, uh, that allows you to push the progression out a bit more if you can't make uh, progress on light, heavy, or something like that. Yeah, great, uh, great advice there. And I had um, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld on last year and talking periodization. And as you mentioned, this idea of it's being a concept more than a, a rigid um, plan. And of course, this idea of having a training plan, having this overall goal that you're working towards, um, and then building your plan towards that goal. And, you know, the undulating periodization is, is, is a great model. And, you know, could you give maybe an example to listeners of, of how someone in a bodyweight setting could, could have a heavier day versus a lighter day? I know you sort of touched on it before with lever lengths, but maybe a, a concrete example would be great. Yeah, so say you're working on the one-arm push-up. Um, what you could do for the lighter day is if you're able to do, you know, pretty high reps of a straddle one-arm push-up, 
you could do straddle one arm push up for the later day going for higher reps. And then if you're working on, you know, the full one arm push up with a straight body leg together, um, on the heavy day, you could work those reps. So basically, um, you don't necessarily have to, you know, have a barbell where you're mi- taking weights off for the later day and then piling on the weights for the heavy day. Um, you just use an easier progression for the light day and a harder progression for the heavy or more intense day. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, in your book, you do a great job with the, um, with the outlines and descriptions and, and pictures of, of the movements. Cause I think for some people who are not as familiar with body weight training or gymnastics based training, it's amazing how you'll, you'll definitely feel right off the bat, the intensity rise when you get into these one arm variations of a push up. And I think for a lot of people it will, uh, um, you know, tame their hubris a little bit in terms of their, their strength potential. Cause it's a lot more challenging than sometimes people will think. Now we've touched on a few of the principles of training, obviously things like specificity and overload. And of course, recovery is another key principle for successful training. How does deloading work in bodyweight training? You know, is there a common strategy that you like to use or something that's more beneficial to bodyweight training? Um, so for deloading, I tend to defer to some common, I guess, barbell principles in this, uh, for this area. Um, and then also, well, I don't, I don't know if these are common barbell principles, but I, these are the principles that I like to use that are similar to barbell ones, I would say. Um, so one of the ones I use is an intensity deload, which is um, you just basically move to previous progressions. So say you're working that full one-arm push-up, you could work uh, easier progressions such as straddle one-arm push-up or even lighter, um, such as, you know, two arm push-ups, maybe with a little weight or maybe unweighted or, or like a hard progression. Those are way too easy. Um, and, uh, when you deload the intensity, you're basically going for more of a higher reps type of scheme in your deload week. And what that does is it's pretty good for overuse injuries since overuse injuries tend to be, um, tend to crop up when you're going, you know, very heavy or have extremely high volume on very intense exercises. Um, so if you're feeling kind of worn down, your joints are achy, it's generally good to deload the intensity. Um, and then another one I like to use is a volume deload. So like, you know, if you're still healthy, um, and you know, your joints are feeling fine, you have no injuries, um, then generally you can just do a volume decrease. So, uh, what I like is either uh, decreasing the volume by about half to maybe a third well, in between about one third and two thirds. Um, so what that just looks like is, you know, you're going to do your regular routine, except you subtract, you know, one to two sets of each exercise. Gotcha. You're still practicing with the intense movements. Um, so you're not going to lose any strength, but since you're dropping the volume by one third to two thirds, um, your body is going to be- better be able to dissipate the fatigue that has accumulated over your tra- that training period. Awesome. Yeah, we can allow for that sort of super compensation to take place and then folks are getting stronger and, and perhaps adding some lean muscle mass and ready to jump into that next uh, next block of training. And of course, people are listening in and they want to get started on this stuff or they've been thinking about it and, and maybe dipping their toe into it a little bit, um, but perhaps have, you know, some areas of, of stiffness or instability or imbalance, you know, in terms of prehabilitation, what, what would someone, let's just say the, you know, a desk worker, 
you know, what, what are some things that they might want to include in, in their warm-up, let's say, to even help to, to, to mobilize things and get ready for a bodyweight training uh, routine? Yeah, so bodyweight training uses a lot of more, I guess, full range of motion movements. So, like, a lot of overhead stuff like the handstand or, say, back lever, which uses, you know, range of motion where your arms are actually behind the body. So a lot of mobility and stretching for the chest, lats, and shoulder, shoulder and torso muscles is good because you now you're going to be moving into greater, range of, greater ranges of motion, unlike barbells a lot of the time. So um, you definitely want to be able to get used to that range of motion and be able to move within that range of motion comfortably before um, trying to develop strength in, that, in those ranges. Um, and especially for tight athletes and desk workers, a lot of the common like hip flexor stretching um, and just getting all the, the leg, hip, and core muscles um, moving and through a lot of greater range of motion is also useful as well. Yeah, I found it's been really interesting because, um, you know, just having some goals of the different movements that you're trying to accomplish, it, it almost you know, really prioritizes uh, mobility, stability, and, and stretching to be able to achieve those those positions and those movements. So, uh, you know, even working with clients and patients, obviously, sometimes stretching becomes a bit of an afterthought or they don't near, put as much work in as they should do. But, you know, when you're working towards some of these movements or goals, you, you, it's just baked into the cake that you got to be able to achieve these positions. So I think that's a great... Um, great quality and, and benefit a lot of the body weight training. And, you know, on that note, in terms of stretching, do you have any preferences in terms of a mix of, you know, static stretching, PNF stretching, loaded stretching? Where can people get some more benefit to help move themselves in the right direction? Yeah. So let me go back to the, um, the prehabilitation stuff. So for sure, um, it's often the case that there's a lot of people who come into it with you know, kind of pushing imbalances. So like, uh, they say went to the gym, but they only did a lot of beach muscle exercises like bench, uh, and curls. So what I found, exactly. So what I found works well to help balance that out is just to get an extra exercise of say horizontal pulling, such as, uh, rows or inverted rows. Um, just to strengthen those back muscles up, catch them up to the push muscles. Um, so um, I recommend generally if somebody's like over pushed, has that over pushing, um, that over pushing state, I guess, of excess excessive hypertrophy and strengthen the the pushing muscles going forward um, to get you know a, a two to one or maybe a three to two ratio of pulling to pushing to help balance that out. Definitely, definitely great advice. All right, so um, for different forms of stretching, uh, such as static PNF loaded, um, basically the goal is to ultimately get the nervous system to relax. So um, what that means is stretching helps to move the muscles into a greater range of motion, uh, lengthen them, and the nervous system senses that as a threat generally. So it uses muscle spindles to tighten up the muscles once they start to lengthen um, if its position seems dangerous. So stretching is more like a progression of relaxing the nervous system. Um, So I kind of like to use uh, static holds, PNF, and load stretching sequentially. 
where you know if static holds don't work, then you can move to something more, a little bit more advanced like PMF. And if that doesn't work, you can move to something a little more advanced like load stretching. Um, and Steve, can you just describe main... PNF quickly for folks if they're not uh, familiar with that? Yeah, so PNF is uh, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, and basically a complicated word to say that you know you're moving the muscle into an end range, and you're usually do some, doing some contractions or holding there against a force, and then relaxing into new range of motion. And what that does is when the body is contracting against force um, in the, the range, it, it does two things, which is, um, one, if you're firing motor units and then you turn them off, what the body does is it tends to relax overall more than if you had just stretched into the um, position. So basically, it'll allow a bit more stretch. And strengthening at end range is generally correlated to being able to increase flexibility as well. Um, so, Fantastic. yeah, the four factors that I like to look at um, that help increase flexibility is um, one, time spent at end range. You know, the more time you spend stretching, um, the more your body is going to, since that's not a threat, and to accommodate into newer ranges of motion. Um, two is to um, aim to relax the nervous system. So, um, deep breathing is a great way to help do that, especially while you're stretching. You know, you're um, taking in that breath and then relaxing out to allow the body into the new range. Um, avoiding pain is important um, through the range because pain tends to sensitize the muscle spindles. So um, if you're stretching into pain, usually you won't progress much, if at all, unless you're a very bendy kid, um, like a gymnastic. So a little bit of discomfort is okay, but when you get into that pain area, that's too much. Is that it? Yeah. Um, I, I like to stretch into the range of discomfort and then accommodate there. Perfect. And, and then um, the fourth one is usually increasing strength through the total range of motion, especially end range. So um, loaded stretching does that fairly well. You're going through that full range of motion to the end range, and then the weight gives you that little bit to stretch a little bit further. Um, so... Uh, all those four concepts can be applied, you know, with static PNF or loaded to help get you into that further range of motion and relax your nervous system and gain strength to end range. Terrific. And, you know, dovetailing off this a little bit into perhaps more specific to athletes, um, you know, athletes who are already, you know, training in their sport and obviously have strength and conditioning plans as well, but maybe want to be doing some things um, in their prehabilitative work or at home to, to be able to to improve mobility and, and flexibility. And so, you know, obviously being part of Canada basketball, worked with a lot of basketball players, so stiff and limited ankle mobility is a really common theme. You know, are there certain uh, body weight-based or gymnastic-based mo movements that would help, you know, prepare them or improve that ankle mobility? Um, so one of the ankle mobility exercises I actually picked up from tr track and field, and that's foot drills. Um, there's six of them. Basically, you're... Know, walking on the outside of your foot, on the inside of your foot, on your toes, on your heels, and then also with your feet turned in and your feet turned out. And what those allow you to do is to build up the body awareness in the various positions. Because, you know, when you're jumping, cutting, 
the load on your foot is not always going to be like in a straight line, like, uh, you know, running, jumping, or even stretching. So, um, to have that body awareness, um, and then, you know, apply strength on that increased body awareness will definitely help to prevent injuries. That's uh yeah, that's a great, a great tip there. And, and, you know, shoes on shoes off would shoes off even expedite some of that, uh, uh, sensitization and proprioception with the brain. Uh, yeah, de- definitely shoes off uh, to get the most effect. But then, obviously, you know, if you're playing shoes, then you also need to learn how to apply it to shoes. So, you know, kind, kind of both in that respect. <laughs> Terrific. And if we shift over to ice hockey players, again, another client base, I see a lot of tight hips is a classic, uh, classic one for these guys. Again, are there certain movements uh, in gymnastics or body weight that would help, um, again, in this kind of prehabilitative or sort of extra body weight based work um, that a hockey player could use to help in terms of that hip mobility stability? Yeah. Um, so body weight training, training towards things such as uh, pistols or single leg squats is good. And one of the good exercises I like for that is Cossack squats. So those are the side to side squats where you bend one leg and keep the other straight. Um, those are usually good for getting mobility in one hip while stretching the adductors and tight muscles, uh, adductors and hamstrings in the opposite hip. Um, so that, that's a pretty good movement to assess somebody's overall, you know, s- squat mobility as well as their uh, straight leg ability. Um, and then, especially for hockey players who are like externally rotated all the time, you know, pushing off the ice, um, it'd also be good just to assess. Um, external and internal range of motion um, with uh, various stretches there. And then also think about how your core interacts with your pelvic girdle since all those muscles cross over each other like the hip flexors, um, the psoas, iliopsoas crosses over to the lumbar spine. Um, and then the, you know, the glutes cross the SI joint to the, um, to the, the, the femur. Um, so there's there's a lot of muscles interacting back and forth. So um, core, some sometimes strengthening the core will actually allow you more mobility in the hip. Yeah, that's great. A great idea, even as a movement screen as well. If you're working with with new players or with assessing your current players through a warm up and whatnot, the Cossack squat is fantastic. So I love I love that tip there. Um, now, if we shift over to something that's become obviously hugely popular in the last, uh, I'd say, decade with CrossFit boom is the handstands, handstand progressions, uh, something that I see a lot of clients wanting to build up on their own now. So, you know, how can someone build up to doing a freestanding handstand and how long do you think it might take them to progress to that stage? Uh, how long is a good question. You know, if you're, <laughs> tough tough if one you're... to answer, I'm sure. <laughs> If you come from a you know pretty athletic background, I've seen some people get it within a couple weeks. Um, but you know if you're coming off as a, a couch potato, um, it may take you you know a couple months to. I've, I've seen over a year, so it's pretty variable. Um, one of, one of the keys that most people don't really get is that it's your hands that are going to bounce for them. So um, the the weight you want. You want to have distributed between, you know, your second knuckle and uh, your first and second knuckles on your hands. So um, basically between your wrist and your fingertips. And what that allows you to do is, you know, if you're falling over forward, you can dig your fingers in to 
um, keep your balance. But if you're falling over backwards, you can put the weight on your palms so that you well, um, so that um, your center of mass is shifted back over your fingers to balance the movement. And people who understand this concept more rapidly get handstand than those who don't. Um, so when we're talking about learning to the handstands, one of the things that people first forget is they forget to learn how to bail from the handstand. So the handstand's a pretty novel uh, movement where you know you're upside down, you're right side up most of the time. So it's a bit of a change, right? So basically, you need to learn to either roll out or pirouette out of the handstand. Getting comfortable with falling out of the handstand dissipates a lot of the fear that people have and the jumpiness of you know, wanting to move their hands or balance with their shoulders. Um, so w learning that right off, just learning how to roll from a headstand or even just like a forward roll on the ground, most people aren't totally comfortable with that. So once you learn how to do that or just fall to the side, land on your feet. Um, that's that's one of the main first things. And I specifically put a lot of bail stuff in the book so um, people would know how to do that um, with pictures. Awesome. That's a, that's a great tip. Definitely good carpet. Uh, mats. Uh, on, practicing on the beach is a great place to start, right? Yeah. Uh, mat or even like a spotter can definitely help as well. Uh, especially if somebody is familiar with gymnastics or handstands, they can help guide you as well. Um, and then, um, so getting into progressions, uh, what I like is back to the wall handstand first, just get people comfortable kicking up um, and upside down on their hands. Um, and as they get used to that, switching more to a walk, uh, a stomach to wall handstand where you walk your hands closer to the wall and get inverted in that position. Um, and what that allows you to do is uh, work on a straight body line for the handstand uh, because um, as you straighten out the line, it's just more easy to use your uh, hands to balance, hand and forearms to balance the handstand. Um, if you're going to that arched banana shape, uh, you're more likely to use your shoulders and your legs to kind of compensate for the balance instead of trusting your hands. Um, and then once, once you're there, um, getting, you know, a solid 20, uh, 30 second hold, you can go ahead and work on, um, bring, splitting your feet apart or kicking both feet slightly off the wall. So you learn how to balance on your fingertips, um, with your hands about, uh, four to six inches away from the wall. Um, and as you get more comfortable with those holds, you know, 10, 20 seconds, that's when you want to start learning how to kick up to a handstand away from the wall, um, work on balance. Um, and then, you know, as we get good at that, you're pretty much there. You just go, go to all kick up attempts. Um, and one way to get used to freestanding in space is to do, um, once you're comfortable with stomach to wall handstands is do it in a hallway. So, you know, in a hallway, if you're facing one wall and your back to the other wall, basically you're not going to tip over. Um, if you start to fall over, your feet will hit the other side of the wall, um, whereas your feet will hit the other side of the wall if you're starting to come down on your uh, the walk up side. Yeah, so that allows you to get. Tip. Yeah, that allows you to balance the handstand in a fairly safe uh, range. It's amazing how the brain plays a big, big role in this in terms of allow, allowing you to really go into these things confidently and knowing that walls behind you in a tight hallway is a, 
is a really uh, probably great uh, great tip to be able to make these progressions accelerate a little bit. Huh? Exactly, and I mean, a, a big a coach or having somebody that critique critique your technique is also uh, one of those big ones because they can more easily spot things. Like it's very hard to tell where you are upside down and your body position. Um, so, you know, getting, filming yourself so you can see what you're doing or getting a coach is always a great idea as well. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, you know, another movement, how about the one arm chin up, you know, what are some key strategies there to be able to develop a one arm chin up that everyone's seen in the Rocky four movies there and training in Russia? <laughs> uh, so I like either a pulley assisted or eccentrics to build up to the one arm chin up, uh, mainly because these are utilized measurable progress. So with eccentrics, um, I like to build up to a seven to 10 uh, uniform speed concentric eccentric where you you know start at the top and then lower slowly down through the whole movement. And that tends to build up the strength well as well as the one arm control. Um, and the alternative to that is uh, pulley-assisted concentrics. So basically you have a pulley and you put a weight on the other end and you hold the other end of the rope with your non-working arm. So basically when you you know do the concentric movement where you're pulling all the, uh, all the way up to the bar, basically the one-arm pull-up, um, if you pull too much on the pulley, basically you're assisting too much. So gotcha. if the weight doesn't, doesn't move at all, you're, you know, assisting at 20 pounds um, or 15 pounds, then you can work, measurably work your way down to, you know, zero pounds. Awesome. And another, um, this is the ultimate, which I imagine takes a lot of time to build up to is the, the iron cross, obviously one of the most impressive movements. You know, is this a quality that, that someone can realistically build up to, or is this going to take years of practice to be able to perform? Um, generally I like, I put a lot of prerequisites for cross in there because it's very hard on the shoulder and elbow connective tissue. Um, so I like a lot of the strainer movements, uh, work on at least progression of the planche, front lever and back lever before the cross, just so you're building up that connective tissue strength before you go on to something much more difficult. Um, and then once you're working up to it, um, yeah, basically I recommend, you know, uh, basically doing it on rings, uh, and the ideal is to get somebody to assist you through the movement, or if you can't do that, then you can, uh, use a pulley assisted mechanism as well, or, um, do something like block cross bowls where your feet are on them to give you a little bit of assist there. Um, but it, it's very tough on the connective tissues. So generally, some most everybody will get a little bit of aggravation when training it. So uh, people need to learn when to you know back off and you know work on the connective connective tissue and then work their way back into it as they progress. So it's kind of uh, finding that fine line between too much volume and uh, backing off between and you know training it and working it slowly uh, to progress it up. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like obviously you know listening to your body in terms of if it's the fatigue's building up to a, to a higher level or a much higher level, you're starting to get more of the aches and pains in the joints and 
overall fatigues coming up and maybe a time for a deload week and you know you had mentioned rings there and I know for, you know for myself between using let's say a standard um, dip bars at a gym versus using rings um, you know massive difference in terms of and how it feels in the shoulders and even holding um, isometrics in, in, the, in the bottom position just just feels really good and helps to open up uh, much more so than, than using kind of the, the standard equipment. Can you walk folks through why rings can be such a benefit for, for joints and mobility? Yeah, so basically rings are in a frictionless, frictionless plane uh, where they'll just move to wherever the force is the least. So when, when you jump up and you have no idea what you're doing, they'll shoot up to the sides because, you know, you're not thinking about pulling in right away. Um, so basically, since they allow this movement and rotation, your body has to turn on all your stabilizer muscles, uh, like your rotator cuff, and all those shoulder muscles to get to stabilize the ring, which is why... Joints can feel a lot better when using the rings sometimes and you know, going to a pull-up bar. Um, on the other hand, sometimes if somebody has is a little more down the road toward injuries, um, if they can't turn all of those stabilizers correctly, um, the in instability can actually aggravate somebody's injury. So if that's gotcha. you and you know, you know, the the rings are aggravating it, you might need some rehab for the stabilizer muscles that is not so advanced as rings. So go see a practitioner, get some work done, and then uh, and then you can revisit those. Exactly. And one of the reasons why I like rings, especially for those, um, especially for those with like elbow and shoulder tendonitis, um, actually, not necessarily like rehabbing it, but getting back into um, training again is because it doesn't lock you into a particular motion that the bar would do. So, you know, if you're grabbing the bar, your elbows and shoulders are kind of locked into a specific position when doing a pull-up movement. Um, so that that movement and rotation of the ring allows your body to find a good movement pattern that fits your body and not put, putting excessive particular stress at one joint because of the, the locked motion. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, definitely for myself, my shoulders after uh... – a lot of years playing baseball, a little cranky, um, and the rings have been a definitely a game changer in terms of helping to uh, to help improve that and support that. So, um, I want to respect your time here, Steve. So, last couple of questions for you. I know you're a big fan of, of rock climbing and parkour. Um, you know, can you talk about some of the qualities those activities could help people to um, to improve on and, and to develop? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I'm from gymnastics to parkour to rock climbing, and you know, I still go back to parkour and rock climbing. So, so a, a lot of this is just learning coordination for a lot of different movements. Um, and learning and playing new sports is always good for the body to, you know, just keep the, the nervous system fresh and um, to build overall body awareness. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of the studies where, like, learning and playing new sports and new movements um, – where the you know the three sport athletes tend to get less injured than those playing um, one sport as they grow up, especially through uh, child. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So just just getting out of your comfort zone, it doesn't even have to be like crazy hard movements of a new sport. You know, just just learning a lot of different movements and you know just learning how your body moves in space and how your body moves, you know, against the ground or say the, the rock climbing wall is beneficial to, 
you know, get someone who has poor awareness to um, be aware of, okay, if you're falling, you know, this is something you can do. You can learn how to roll. You can learn how to uh, push, change the forces so you're not getting into potentially injurious positions. Um, and then there's discipline as well. You know, going into a new sport, you're going to learn the discipline that it takes to, you know, learn all the new movements, essentially how it takes to strengthen condition in that particular sport. So you'll, you'll definitely see a lot of similar qualities, a lot of across a lot of different sports where, you know, you're doing sports specific movements and then you're doing um, strength and conditioning in the gym to, you know, support those sports specific movements. And then you're, doing either energy systems or specific isolation work to shore up weak points for those specific sports. Um, so just, just seeing all those different things and how they apply to different sports can help you, especially in your one sport that you're focusing on. Great stuff, Steve. And, uh, you know, if we can round things out here, maybe by giving us a little glimpse into your, uh, uh into your week, you know, what is your, what does your training look like at the moment and how do you drip feed in some of the body weight training in when you're, you know, busy in clinic or writing, et cetera? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I'm currently working on overcoming tendonitis as main book. That's a huge project. I've looked through hundreds of studies already trying wow. to, yeah, I'm working with another PT to, assimilate that into hopefully a useful book uh for all parts of the body so you know achilles uh, patellar uh, rotator cuff um you know elbow medial and, and lateral up kind of latest and all those different ten, tendon tendinopathies yeah and golfers getting elbow, tennis elbow all those exactly um and then i also train about three to four times a week uh, i usually climb and then do a bit of specific isolation work like hangboard and then at the moment I'm not going too hard on you know gymnastics body weight strength based exercises I'm basically meaning to maintain those um, because when you're putting recovery into both a sport and strength and conditioning it's very difficult usually you have to sacrifice one for the other so right now I'm sacrificing body weight training for um, my improvement in climbing um, and then yeah, so basically I'm doing those two main things at the moment and also doing my continuing ed for <laughs> physical therapy. Awesome, awesome. And uh, maybe last one here to round things out for folks. If you could give you know a trainer or a practitioner or someone who's an athlete, someone who's trying to jump into bodyweight training for the first time, you know, a tip that 20% of the, of the fundamentals that's going to give them sort of that 80% of the way home, um, you know, what would that be in terms of for bodyweight training? Um, definitely consistency and discipline. That is the, the core. If you're missing workouts here and there, you're just not going to progress effectively. Um, and especially for body weight athletes, working high repetitions is very good to start for the first you know couple months because a lot of athletes you know are really strong in the gym and then they come over to body weight training and you know really work up to those advanced movements really quickly. And since they're not used to a lot of straight arm work, the leverage or the, the torque on the tendons uh, with the straight arm exercise is very high, so it very quickly leads to overuse. So just working a lot of uh, high repetitions to build up that connecti connective tissue strength and maybe straight arm work such as um, German hangs, skin the cat type movements, and uh, rings, 
supports ring straight arm work um, will help to build up those elbow and shoulder connective tissues um, so that, you know, a couple months down the line, you're not dealing with another case of tendonitis. Awesome. Well, Steve, listen, to great, great insights here and, and, you know, tips for, for clients, athletes, trainers as well. You know, where can people stay connected with you and where can people pick up some of your fantastic books? Um, so I'm over at stephenlow.org. And I'm also, I also answer questions, uh, have a community over on Reddit uh, called Overcoming Gravity. So uh, reddit.com slash r slash Overcoming Gravity. And you can pick up both of my books on U.S. Amazon, I think the European Amazons, and the Canadian one. Um, and then actually a month ago, the German edition of uh, Overcoming Gravity came out as well, so that's available on Amazon.de if you're a German. Fantastic. Well, definitely include all those links with the podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. See, thanks again for coming on, and thanks again, everyone else, for tuning in. If you have any questions uh, for myself or Steve on this episode, then feel free to please reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. Of course, if you enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever app you like best, and subscribe to the show. Thanks, everyone, and see you guys all next week. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcasts.